connecting, growing, and gaining opportunities together. Welcome to the Travel Hub Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Travel Hub Podcast. I'm Michelle Bouchard, your host for today's show. In this episode, we are releasing a conversation that took place during a webinar with our travel value partner, JBH Advisory Group. The JBH team talked with the VP of Procurement from Foxwood Casino, as well as the regional VP from Spectra, about food service offerings and purchasing struggles, employment challenges, purchasing trends, and changes within tribal properties. This past year has challenged food service operations throughout the country, and casinos are no exception. With vaccines now rolling out and some light at the end of the tunnel, casino operations are starting to look towards the future. Hear from this panel of industry experts about how they are working through this current transition period, as well as what they are planning to do moving forward. The group discusses trends within the food service industry that will have implications for casino operations and discuss how they are addressing current long-term, short-term challenges around staffing, supply chain, and customer service execution. It really is a great discussion, and I hope you enjoy it. And thank you again for joining us. Uh, This is going to be a conversation on the casino food service uh, challenges of today and tomorrow with uh, JBH Advisory Group, Spectra, and the Foxwoods Casino. So again, special thanks today to our webinar presenter, our tribal value partner, JBH Advisory Group. Um, Speaking today will be Scott, the Director of Business Development, Phil, who is the Chief Procurement Officer at Foxwoods, um, Michael, the Regional Vice President of Spectra, and um, also from GBH Advisory Group, Brian and Alexis. Thanks, Michelle. Uh, Appreciate it. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today. This is Scott uh, Swagger with JBH Advisory Group, and I get the pleasure today of uh, moderating this panel and asking questions and trying to uh, make sure that we stay on time and on track here today. Um, Excited about this. We've got a a really great group, and I think it's going to be a great conversation because they, they each come at this from a different angle and have a really unique perspective um, and background, which I think is going to really flavor the conversation, um, talking about the challenges that we're all facing. So with that, I'd like first to have uh, each of the group uh, introduce themselves. And Thanks, Scott. Uh, Mike Ducey, I'm Regional Vice President for Spectra's Casino Operations. Uh, we are a Philadelphia-based company. Um, we provide services throughout uh, entertainment venues, uh, such as stadiums, arenas, ballparks, convention centers. Uh, but we also uh, facilitate food service, both through consulting and operations in uh, tribal casinos. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Mike. Brian, and then Alexis. Sure. Good afternoon. My name is Brian Berger. I'm a principal of JBH Advisory Group. Uh, My partner and I started JBH back in 2009 after leading a global food and beverage advisory practice at PricewaterhouseCoopers over a decade. Uh, So we provide consulting services specializing in operational uh, performance, really kitchen of the future, labor efficiency uh, throughout the industry from a hospitality perspective within casinos and hotels, resorts, and directly with restaurant companies as well. Great. Um, Good afternoon. My name is Alexis Kakuka. I have had the pleasure of working with Brian now for over a decade at JBH Advisory Group. Um, Prior to that, I worked in restaurant operations um, really throughout throughout the country. Um, And so within JBH, I'm responsible for project management um, and as as Brian described, very much into innovation and and kitchen of the future and working with clients in order to help them achieve efficiencies. Um, In addition, we also own an operate um, a very unique food hall in New York City uh, called Sous Vide Kitchen, a uh, virtual food hall where we offer a dozen brands on one uh, very simplified production line um, for ease of use for not only our team members um, as well as the guests as well. So we're able to really bring that mentality um, and all of that work um, into our client work. So happy to be here today with this great panel. And, uh, and for the record, just because I work with Brian and Alexis doesn't mean their questions are easier. They're actually going to get the harder questions. There's no softballs. Um, and, and Phil, glad to see you're back. Well, my technical difficulties. Yeah, I just got my computer upgraded. And it's causing all kinds of issues. Um, Phil Minichino, Chief Procurement Officer at Foxwoods. I've actually been at Foxwoods for 29 years in um, many different roles. I started out in food and beverage over two decades ago. 
Uh, my last role here was um, I was in planning and analysis as manager of uh, FP&A. Uh, moved in procurement four years ago, but I've always had a, a love for the supply chain. So it's kind of my dream job. And um, Foxwoods is um, square footage, the largest casino in North America. Uh, Foxwoods is owned by the Mashantucket Pequot tribe. So our department purchases for the casino, the tribal government, and a couple other uh, businesses that the tribe owns. So with that, I guess we'll uh, we'll get into the conversation. And I think, um, you know, l- looking at the calendar, it's amazing, you know, where we've come this past year. You know, this this time last year was right around the time that things really started to uh, started to fall apart and shut down. And so, let's start there now. You, you know, a year after this pandemic started. You know, where, where are things? Are guests coming back? Um, you know, where, where are we in terms of spending and seeing that? And then, uh, you know, as we go go forward into this year, are we entering the next, uh, the, the Roaring Twenties period, as I've heard some refer to it? Phil, you want to kick, kick us off from a casino? Yeah, I'll kick it off. So um, where we came from a year ago, basically, after we furloughed pretty much our entire 5,000 employees, um, we opened back up in June with roughly a little over 2,000. We're up at about 3,000 right now, so we're still down about 2,000 employees from where we were last year. Um, and uh, we were up and down based on numbers like everybody else was. We're a tribal government, a sovereign nation, so we follow rules of the state to a certain level. But um, when we opened up June 1st, the governor did not want us to open up based on their, their faith approach they were doing in Connecticut. We, of course, our tribal council is a government, so they made their own rules up and said we could open, but we do follow the same restrictions as the state of Connecticut does when it comes to um, how we operate and everything. Um, our, we've gone from up and down a couple times. We actually had another layoff in November. Um, we have bought most of those people back, and then usually in March, which is our best month of the year, mainly due to tax returns uh, and business levels and what happens. Um, with the timing of stimulus checks and everything else in vaccines, we've had a great month in our new model, like everybody else out there with less labor, um, has had a dramatic impact on our profit margin. Um, so we're actually in a good place right now, except for employment and cost of goods. Or those are the two big issues we have right now. But we've eliminated a lot of restrictions and we're considering um, eliminating more restrictions. We actually have a, a big event coming up in June right now. Dave Chappelle's gonna be here for four shows, sold out, but there's a lot of restrictions on it. You have to get a COVID test before you go in there. And it's, you know, what are the new rules and regulations gonna be? Mike can attest this for Spectre better than me what the rules are gonna be in arenas. So it's just, just a lot happening every day. And um, we had 10 buyers before, and now we have six. So that's just to say what our group is over here. Mike, how about, I, I know Spectra operates across the country. So curious if you're seeing regional differences and, and kind of what's happening in your world. Yeah, significant differences. I mean, I, from, from, a, from a travel gaming standpoint, uh, I can echo almost exactly what Phil has talked about. Uh, I, I think uh, my added comment would be what, what we saw bringing the properties off offline and then and only briefly uh, and then back online we really focused on you know kind of that model of, of a zero based budget in other words there was no uh there was no past to draw upon uh you know the manager uh ended up as uh you know perhaps the restaurant manager and upwards. So it really just shifted around. It came back organically, but I would say that the uh, interest in, in food is, is growing daily, uh, weekly. I mean, it just, the numbers continue to uh, amaze me as they go up. Uh, Obviously the, protective measures that the the casinos have uh, employed around their guests and that we've employed specifically in the food service have really gained trust to the customers, made them feel comfortable uh, to be able to be in the environment and and have some fun and play. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because, you know, from a sales perspective, we've seen the rapid development of perhaps technologies that were yeah, probably a few years away from getting pushed out to the market, but COVID has just amplified that. And 
yeah, we're seeing some occasions where our PPAs or our per cap spending is increased and significantly, particularly when it comes to leveraging the technology. And I, I'm sure we'll talk about that as time goes on. But it, it, it really is, uh, to me, encouraging to see that there's that level of confidence in our gas to come back. And, and I think that there's still a tremendous amount of pent up demand coming coming forward for us. Yes, um, Brian, on the, you know, from, from the clients that you're working with and talking to, you know, are you, are you seeing the same thing and what's, uh, what's the outlook like for the next year in terms of interest? Absolutely. I would, I would agree with Mike. The pent up demand is there. You know, there, there is a question we, we know from a restaurant perspective, one in six restaurants have, have closed down during the pandemic. So competitive set is, is different. I think the, you know, what is that demand as well from the guests? What type of services, what, what are they comfortable uh, doing? So, you know, we've, we've seen the delivery, the takeout business uh, really just go, uh, you know, skyrocket during the demand center, uh, during the pandemic time. So what's it going to look like going forward? And I think one of the challenges that, you know, I, I know we're going to get into is, is really on the labor side. How do we meet that demand as it comes forward? Uh, really with uh, finding talent uh, that's out there. How do we change our processes? Uh, looking at both back of house and front of house as we take away uh, buffets, as we take away self-serve. Um, so there's there's a lot of questions. And I think, uh, you know, the industry has been amazing this past year from a pivot perspective and what we've seen. And there's, as Mike said, there's a lot of new technology, a lot of new uh, processes that people are considering uh, to, to be able to meet what's what the go forward will be. That's a good segue. You labor's been brought up a couple times. So and Phil said, you know, two two thousand employees down. So does that mean there's there's this big pool of people out there now looking for jobs, and we're starting to ramp up, and rehiring is going to be easy? And who wants to start on that one, Mike? You want to? <laughs> Yeah, there's no doubt. Uh, labor is, uh, you know, it's it's in the national news every day. National restaurant uh, news briefings that come into my inbox every day. The the headline is where the staff and, uh, you know, a couple theories that that are out there. Some some seem on point. Some seem perhaps, uh, you know, a little bit yet in development. But I I, I do think, unfortunately, a lot of people have abandoned the industry uh, forever. Uh, I do, you know, hate to be that pessimistic, but I. I think that eventually from a line level staff perspective, many earners who have found uh, other employment in the area, perhaps a uh, comparable wage have uh, settled into those to those positions and may not come back. Uh, so it's it's certainly, you know, as a correlation of the sales, uh, you know, I, I actually think there's sales being left. I know there's sales being left on the table right now. There's just no way that we're capturing all of our revenue as a result of the uh, the, the labor shortages. And it's uh, perhaps even at least in, in our experience, uh, a little different regionally across the country, but generally it's the back of the house where we're struggling more so than the tip earn positions in the front. But even management, uh, I think, is is going to be a continued uh, change. Uh, I read an article just the other day that talked about as many as one in four professionals will eventually for find a new job elsewhere. And uh, that's a staggering stat. I, I'm not sure that I'd completely embrace those statistics and how they develop that information, but I do think it's fair to say there will be a high number of people that will be shifting where they work and how they assess. And then my only other example would be even, even within our own team, we've had individuals who perhaps were furloughed and superb managers, great folks. And, and during that time, they've had uh, the ability to reassess their life, or perhaps they moved back in with family for a while that they've uh, left behind in other parts of the country and, and have come back and uh, uh, decided, hey, listen, I, you know, I kind of like living around my family. I'm, I'm going to head home. I'm, I'm going, I'm migrating back. Uh, so there's there's definitely a lot of a uh, lot of things to contend with, lots to unpack here as we as we come through the uh, the labor the labor model here so same uh, same on your case you've uh, with this pool of employees and as you've brought people back has that been easy or is that a challenge to no it's been very difficult you know we tried to bring some people back to one of my office department they're like i don't want to work that hard or our our big thing that we have because 
we're a weekend, obviously we're weekend dominated business here in hospitality, like everybody else. But we had people that worked, you know, Monday through Friday, they had one weekend day off right now. You're coming back, you're working weekends. Everybody's working weekends with your guaranteed your days off or Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or some kind of that mix. A lot of those people don't want to do that. They, they don't want to go back to working weekends again. They used to have high seniority. Now they don't. Um, it's been very difficult dealing with that. And, and from the offside, we have a lot of outsourced labor too. And they've had a lot of difficulty pulling people in. I mean, we, we were at a point for the past two weekends where we couldn't open up hotel rooms because we didn't have enough staff to clean them. Um, you know, we had directors and salespeople going in hotel rooms to clean them so we can open them up. Um, you know, on the food and beverage side, absolutely the back of the house is a bigger issue than the front of the house. You know, it's, it's gonna be very difficult, especially when you have an employee that was making a fixed value you know, even if they're making 15 bucks an hour, they can make as much on unemployment right now until September between the federal and the states. That kind of limits, you know, why go to work if you could stay home all day long and make the same amount of money. Alexis, I want to uh, I want to bounce to you for a second, because I know you've you know, you're you you're used to working in a really tight, tough labor market in, in, in New York. Um, what are some of the things that you've done and that you've seen operators do to, to kind of help address these challenges, whether it's equipment, recruiting, you know, all of those aspects from a broader industry perspective? Yeah, thank you, Scott. Um, yeah, I, I do think that, you know, if there were to be a silver lining with the pandemic, that perhaps it gave operators an opportunity to reset, to really look at operations and, and take a step back from the way that things have been done, just because it's the way that things have been done. Um, and and look at the how and the why are we doing things like this? And and are there opportunities really to, to make improvements? Um, so, you know, really all across the board from technology to equipment um, to really ingredients that you're choosing. Um, we've seen a lot of operators really opting for, you know, some of those speed scratch ingredients, really, you know, potentially looking for manufacturing partners that can provide top quality products that can allow um, team members, back of house production team um, to prepare items in quicker time, potentially with less training. Um, there's a, a number of opportunities to, to utilize equipment, really smart equipment um, that can be programmed. And with a simple touch of a button, you know, again, a, a allow someone operating to prepare an item exact to recipe. And, and I would say from a consumer standpoint, you know, really there, there's such a demand for new ways in which to receive food. So whether that be delivery to different parts parts of the building or different areas to pick up, um, you know, really an opportunity to, to rethink, are there ways that we can maybe shift that 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 mealtime rush period and allow um, guests to, to kind of spread out the time that they're dining um, through the use of technology and, and unique ordering platforms? Looking, you know, towards the future, but into, into the crystal ball, do we think that this... Uh is this going to get better? And is the, you know, there's a, there's a major infrastructure bill, uh, you know, being proposed right now. And, you know, what kind of, what kind of implications might that have, you know, for the workforces that we're all, all dealing with? Yeah, I, I think that's significant, Scott. I think that that, uh, you know, obviously that's still in an early stage, but I do think that that infrastructure bill is going to weigh heavily into, uh, you know, obviously there, there are needs for roads improvement, bridge improvements uh, throughout the country. And, and uh, you know, as, as that develops, obviously that's going to you know, make a construction boom. And that does, you know, shift people again out of an already tight labor market. So to, to my perspective, I think, you know, we, we've got a long road ahead. I think the bounce back of guests will come much quicker than the bounce back of the employees coming back to work. And, uh, you know, we, we're to, as we talk about this, and, and I, I agree with Alexis and, and some of those simplifications, you, you've, you've got, um, you've got fatigue amongst those that are working. Uh, you know, Phil, I don't know if you're seeing that, but we're certainly seeing that from top to bottom, from the dishwasher to the executive director of food and beverage on the property. It is exhausting right now. They are uh, hands-on. They're, they're six to seven days a week. Uh, let's not kid. They're seven days a week. And they're, uh, they're you know, doing everything they can. We we are by nature servants, right? That is our business. We're in the servitude business and they, you know, their mindset, my mindset, our, our group is nothing but let's get this done. We got guests to serve. 
but obviously that, you know, the reality of that is the sustainability of that makes it tough so that <laughs> we compound the issue and all of a sudden, you know, we, we per- perhaps the dedicated uh, that have been here start to make their decisions. Uh, so there, there definitely are, are needs to remold how things get done in, in a very short order here to, to make sure that people are getting the relief they need. Sorry, with all the stimulus out there and figure we cannot compete with those rates that those construction rates are going to be. It is going to be very difficult if somebody's willing to leave the food and beverage industry and move into construction, even at an entry level position is going to be more than we can afford to pay. So are there other, so I know Alexis mentioned equipment and process and production. Are there other, other things that everyone's looking at right now to try to incentivize you know, people to stay long term, or is it sort of a you know, accept accepting the fact that there's going to be some churn there, and how do we you know how do we continually recruit and train? No, Scott, my my take on that, and I think Alexis will attest on the eternal optimist, but I, I feel a lot, a lot of what we're seeing you know, really started well before the pandemic. The pandemic just has, has really magnified it. We were seeing minimum wage go up in the in the major uh, locations. We're expecting minimum wage to continue to go up. We were seeing benefit costs, et cetera, uh, going up. We saw less people entering into the market from a labor perspective for long-term. Uh, it was, you know, a lot of times it's, a, you know, hospitality is a stopping ground. Uh, so, I think we're very fortunate as an industry that there's been such innovation from a supplier and equipment and technology and a data analytics perspective. So, you know, there's, you know, processes like sous vide that that we use often in in our restaurants that can, you know, decrease the time to get from uh, start to plate by 70%. You know, we, we can look at using equipment like Rationale and TurboChef and AutoSham and, and, what they've done from an innovation standpoint to really speed up process. And so I think the silver lining is, can we get to a place where we increase our efficiency on the back of house side, where we reduce the amount of labor we we need, which we can't find, and have the ability to pay the labor that we do, you know, a, a living wage and really concentrate on the employees that we have. Uh, I think the data analytics piece is so key to that as well. Um, it's, I, I think historically our industry hasn't really done uh, the best job at that, but it's accelerated very quickly in the last few years. And so now we have the information to understand, you know, during our day parts, let's get it down to the 15 minute increments when we really need certain individuals in certain places. Let's make sure that we're uh, being hyper efficient in how we're using employees um, in, in the correct way, both for them and, and the business. Um, so I think there, there, you know, fortunately there, there are these innovations, you know, today, if you want clean natural sauces uh, in, in small packs that uh, can eliminate waste, you can find it. If you want pre-cooked grains and rices, um, you, you can find it. You can get customized mixes. So that side of it can allow us to really change uh, what has been historically the balance between food costs and labor costs. Um, you, something you mentioned, you mentioned, you know, a change in analytics and, and groups using analytics better. And, and Mike and Phil, I'm curious on your perspective, how have you seen through the pandemic, um, you know, how are, how are your operations using data differently or better? Um, I know everybody's, you know, shorter on people. Um, you know, has that, has that caused you to be more efficient or has that hurt the effort to get, you know, good, clean, actionable data? So before the pandemic, we always talked about becoming an analytically driven company and coming from a financial analysis background, that was kind of a good thing. Um, but one thing we did when we shut down, one of the few departments that did stay the whole time was financial analysis. And we totally re-engineered how we do business here. Everything is driven by financial analysis. Um, we just opened a Dunkin' Donuts up that we had closed down in the area. We went through and figured out how many cups of coffee and covers we need to did on a, each day of the week for it to make sense to open that restaurant up. We're not opening outlets up unless they can prove they can make money. And that's helped our profit margin, you know, other than the fact is we are still short on labor, but because we're listening, we're looking at the numbers, 
and we're paying attention to that those people more than before. I mean, everybody's driven by analytics now. If you're not, you're not going to win. I would echo that. I would say that we're taking the data and relearning the business too, right? I mean, we have operators that are studying hourly cover counts and and realizing a very different flow of guests, even the times of day, some data shifts in, in, in when people are utilizing the product and using that to drive decisions on, on staffing, staffing models, perhaps certain promotions, you know, whether you're going to run your early senior breakfast or your your midday specials and, and whatever other promotions you're partnering with on casino marketing side. The one other observation I'd say, you know, Phil, in your case, obviously big, big property, uh, you know, heavily populated area. That's not necessarily the case in, in many travel casinos uh, that are that are, you know, not attached to, say, like the Northeast Corridor or some of the other major markets. And and the struggle becomes, you know, in those smaller restaurants that service as, you know, a true amenity. Um, maybe in the past they were losing a little bit or a break even proposition you know, the, the, the decision tree becomes, do we need to open it all? But if we don't open that, then we have, we have nothing because the footprint is not big enough to, to shift around. And, 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 and yet, you know, you want to keep that as reasonable as possible. You know, we, we've, we've begin to counter that by truly, you know, again, I mentioned earlier, the, the manager, the director perhaps becomes the restaurant manager. And, and unfortunately that means a few people aren't coming back. Um, but it, it, it allows, it to get again built organically and we just keep adding to the services as it grows as opposed to having opened it in full full scope to what it used to be uh so it's it's just critical to take some time uh ultimately you're probably gonna need some food service running in your casino and that might contribute to some losses but it can be done in a manner that it's just built smartly over time and then using some of the solutions like alexa talked about technology throwing in uh it, it just comes together that you're 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 understanding where the dollars are being spent to some extent maybe better than in the past right we, we're not taking it for granted uh, you know, in that sense, right? You talked about the service phasing back in, and I think um, you know we talked about casinos. Often think about the you know, big buffets. <laughs> is is the buffet gone? Is the buffet coming back? What's a uh, what? What's the future there? Well, from, from our perspective, you know, uh, it depends on the location and the, the mass. I mean, there's locations that maybe shouldn't have had a buffet before COVID um, that there tends to be that uh, belief of certain things that a casino food and beverage has to have. And and I think that mold needs to always be broken. You know, do, do you need to have a steakhouse? Do you need to have a buffet? Those are going to be very property specific decisions. I do not think that buffets go away. I think buffets will have a place. I, I do believe that there will be a number of them, but I do think some properties will assess that the mass was not there even to begin with and can reevaluate through COVID's uh, downtime, whether it's necessary to bring that back or not. But uh, I, do, I don't think they're gone. I agree with Mike. Our buffet has been closed and is now the employee cafeteria due to uh, COVID restrictions. Um, <clears throat> will the buffet come back? I think someday. We're redoing our bus marketing program right now, and, and 30 to 40% of our bus day, our buffet patrons were bus marketing patrons. So bus marketing is coming back with no food and beverage option for a, a, a comp. So it's for us to go without that extra 30% of revenue doesn't make sense to open up right now. Will it come to a point someday where we're going to have to make a decision? Yeah, it's going to come down to that. And it, and it comes down to, like Mike said, lost leaders. Us not having enough outlets opening up is starting to impact customer service. We're seeing that. So we need to make some decisions down the road what we're going to do because we could all go through and, you know, the bottom line is great. But if the customer service is not there, people are going to stop coming. Yeah, just to echo what, what Mike and Philip um, had, you know, we're talking about with the buffet, you know, I think there's a real opportunity to, to to reimagine what it looks like and how those guests are served. I think that for many of our clients and operations that we've worked in for years, the, as Philip has said, that the buffet has really been a lost leader and an area that has um, really created a lot of excess waste. So while perhaps it may be a lower labor model, um, you know, does it really, does, is it really worth it with just the amount of, of food 
food waste that is that results from it. So is there an opportunity to, to look and, and knowing that the guests are looking for a variety and looking for a lot of options? Can you reimagine a food hall? Can you reimagine, um, you know, branded kiosks that offer a variety of, of concepts or different types of cuisine that potentially are open um, at various times of the day and, and, you know, really have the opportunity, as Brian mentioned, to zone into those even 15 minute windows of, you know, when does it make sense to have all operations open and when should we really have, you know, maybe one or two open as we continue to build back to, to full occupancy. So um, I definitely think that there's a place for them to continue, but a real opportunity for us to continue to innovate um, and, and think about how to serve those guests. Well, the other part too is a shift away from a buffet for certain properties that do have the volume, I'd imagine perhaps even, you know, in, in Phil's case, to make that move to change a buffet or to exercise away from a buffet, you have to replace it, right? So you're talking about some significant capital investments, downtime and other decisions that have to go into it, footprints. Do you have the mechanical, electrical plumbing, the MEP set up for alterations to your property? So it's it's a big decision. If you're serving even a thousand guests a day in a buffet, currently shucks even 500 a day, you need to, you know, replace that service for that number of guests is sizable. You know, if you, if you replace it with a, you know, 150 seat restaurant, you know, your, your turn counts and, and how you put that together to replace a buffet would be, you know, that'd be a big hurdle to overcome in a, in a short time question that came in through the chat that I think ties into this, you know, about work being done with apps, touchless impact for service operations. You know, what, what are you all seeing in terms of technology being used to help streamline it, remove customer, you know, physical touch points, um, you know, and, and speed that kind of customer service scenario in the future? It's funny you say that because we're actually just going and awarding uh, after last March, we were going to um, award an RFP for a new POS system. Obviously, with everything uh, happening and lack of capital, we put it on hold. My boss notified me two days ago that we are going to move forward with this now. And um, we're going to award um, our new POS system probably next week. But one of the main reasons we're doing this is actually because of that ability to go through and do apps, um, remote ordering, be able to order from anywhere in the casino and order to any restaurant you want. That's one of the huge pauses of doing that. You know, you can go to your room and you can place an order for Cedar Steakhouse or David Burke Prime on your Foxwoods app and have that order print down. And all of the restaurants now are doing their own room service even the tenants here and they'll run your order up to the room get your food and all your to-go containers and you have a good experience definitely i i can speak a little bit from more of a, a kind of a current events although it's not necessarily from our gaming side uh, as our uh, venues that are on the sports and entertainment side have come back the uh, certainly mobile has been, you know, the, the talk of the town, right? It's obviously putting together people in mass in those environments and, and leveraging it. We have absolutely seen an increase in the spend uh, using mobile technology per transaction, uh, anywhere from 25 to 35%. I had a, I uh, was on a yet another call yesterday with the company and they uh, made uh, the statement that they have been able to see 35 to 40% increases in spend. Uh, the use of of, of an app to spend money is a little bit different than than being in the restaurant or doing the to-go or the phone line. It, it just, I guess it feels different to the customers. It's much like the darn Amazon app on my phone and my head, head you know, my using it to buy something because I felt like it at the moment, right? It's it's just, it, it goes, it's easy, it's convenient. And and certainly it's obviously in, in this time with the pandemic, it's it's a it's a great way to get a to-go order and be, and be safe if needed. Uh, but obviously it's, it's just an ease of use and, uh, it's it's here to stay. There's there's no no question. Uh, I would imagine that over time, uh, you know, as that gets deployed for casinos, obviously the uh, using it for for slots players is going to be a, a key element. And uh, and the drink ordering has been out there. It's not new, uh, but certainly I think it, it becomes a forefront push in in most venues going forward. And I think it, it goes back to that labor question. I think pre-pandemic, you know, even though companies like McDonald's had put up kiosks and, you know, most companies were putting out apps, there there wasn't necessarily as much as many uh, guests embracing it. I think the pandemic again accelerated it and 
you know, that that is one area that we can really assist with uh, reducing some of the labor needs we have, while at the same time meeting that guest satisfaction, since more and more people are comfortable ordering that way, they, you know, in, in some ways have a preference for it. And, you know, on top of that, we can deliver them foods and services uh, better than we have before. And on the back end, we're able to track it much easier. Um, we're, we, we've been talking to a few companies. I mean, there's a lot of companies right now that are really betting that the traditional POS and in many ways, the hardware associated with it uh, is going to continue to decrease, you know, and, and, and in some ways, the hardware is in every guest's hand. And there's got to be co-branding opportunities. You know, I come back to my Amazon example. I, you know, I recently found that, and I, I travel significantly and I try to stay loyal to a few because I like my travel points and I learned that I can use my Hilton points to buy on Amazon. So all of a sudden you're opening up your opportunities of, you know, where you're pulling from. Sometimes it's not even your money. You're just buying something on the app because you're partnered with uh, another business or another opportunity. And I think a great example of that is even the use of QR codes, right? So just a few years ago, uh, you know, they really were not widely used or accepted by the general public. And now they really can be used and and, and even as a method to essentially replace an app with, you know, now that there's a uh, an acceptance of the use of it, it can, it can you know, drive direct um, traffic to a website. Does this mean I never get a paper menu again? Which, you know, which actually leads into an interesting question to the, through the, uh, you know, on, on the supply chain side and transitioning there um, and from an environmental stand, standpoint, you know, I, I joke, but okay, so we've cut down on paper um, because we're not handing out menus anymore. Um, and that's great. But now everything's on a disposable, you know, in a disposable plastic. Is, is that here to stay? Is that going away? What are, what are you all seeing, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, plastic use and environmental impact from this? So we have, here's a case we did is we were looking, eventually we're going to reopen our cafeteria. And right now we're all disposable. We're spending in our cafeteria alone between eight and $10,000 a week on disposables. Obviously some of that goes away. A lot of it goes away if we went back to, to China. Well, we have issues with our dishwasher. So the thought was, well, maybe we'll just stay on disposables when we open the cafeteria. Well, then we told them it's about a half a million dollars a year that we're spending right now on disposables and figuring the labor and the, you know, the cost of the dishwasher. Is it better for us to stay on disposables or go back to using the dishwasher and CGS? That doesn't even include what we're doing to the environment. And I'm not a hardcore environmentalist, but I mean, yeah, it's great. We're doing all these things because of COVID, but the waste associated with that is huge. Yeah. The waste is most definitely significant, uh, with, with the paper plastic. And then, and, uh, and, and, and I do hope, I do hope we can reverse that because it's, it's tremendous. The overall kind of, kind of where you're getting to is that experience and really what is that experience? And we're talking a lot about these kind of the service changes and, and, you know, we can't help but to think, okay, you know, it's, yes, we're using QR codes and the menu pops up and you could order your food right there and great that it increases as I just said, but then, you know, the devil's advocate would say, well, where's the experience in that? What's, what's the value to the guest in that? It's supposed to be fun. It's not just supposed to be, here's your food and go, right? I mean, there's got to be more to it than that. I certainly say that we're going to have to be very conscientious of, of understanding how that guest assumes, you know, when they walk into the restaurant, they're sat, they ping the QR code, the, the servers come by. Uh, I, I can say that we, we've, you know, we, we want to influence the time at the table a little bit longer, perhaps if the server has a little more free time because they're not having to run back and forth from P-Check to, to, uh, to the uh, table, uh, you know, if they have the uh, ability to, to type in that order at their hand because they have the mobile technology, the server does, or the guest, you know, maybe there's a little bit more conversational time that allows for that experience to increase, uh, or it's, uh, you know, if it's a steakhouse, perhaps it's stopping to do the, the presentations the stakes and, and drawing that out, but just the, the things that will matter are very apparent when it comes to service and the quality that we don't erode. We're, we're just simply going to work ourselves out of what we do best, right? Let's talk, I want to talk uh, particularly, Phil, a little bit about supply chain right now and uh, what, what, what keeps you up at night? And is, is everything back to normal or are we still hunting for PPE and toilet paper? So other than other than than gloves, PPE is is all over the place and the prices come down dramatically. You know, 
what we paid for a mask a year ago. Uh, when I first bought a mask, I paid 70 cents a mask. Now I can get them for 15 cents each. Gloves have gone the other way. They've gone from you know $20 a case to $86 a case. Um, I made a, a funny comment on a call yesterday with U.S. Foods and jokingly I said about wondering what their fill rate is right now. Well, I wasn't really joking around. I wanted to know what it was because they wouldn't answer because they're going to come back and say they're at 92 to 95 percent, but they're really not that high. We're getting so many shortages. We have actually a, uh, a high-end blackjack tournament this weekend. So when that happens, Butler goes and they the butlers reach out to the guests that are coming in for our villas and they ask them what they want. Um, everybody has high-end liquors they like. And you would not believe the amount of alcohol that we could not get. We have unavailable to us that people want that we could get before that we can't get now. And it's all the high-end stuff. Sorry, you're a, you know, a $250,000 blackjack player and you can't get your bottle of tequila you want or something like that or wine. If you look at consumer price index, it's skyrocketing right now. Um, the cost of doing business is getting higher and higher. And with the fuel issues that they're having, the fuel prices going up, that's going to cause cost of goods to go up. So where you're going to find something at is what keeps you up at night. And then how much is it going to cost to get that in there? Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid inflation is coming. But, uh, you know, even even beyond the supplies themselves, uh, what we're finding on supply chain management, Scott, is the um, the same staffing issues we're having. They're having, too. Right. Um, I'll give you an example. Over the weekend, I was uh, assisting one of our properties with the reopening. And, uh, you know, on the scramble, the linen company couldn't provide. They just didn't have the drivers to drive up our linen. And they're a great company. They do a nice job for us. We really Really appreciate the partnership, and and uh, you know we had to, we had to send a runner down, and and uh, when uh, when we got there, they mentioned that they're they're short six drivers. They just they simply can't fulfill the routes, and uh, I think that's going to continue to happen. That's already compounding with uh, Phil, Phil made a better from a purchasing perspective, but the, 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 the trucking industry has been hurting for years now. I think the the amount of persons with CDLs has been a struggle for many years now. That's not new. So compound this with with the uh, the you know the inability to hire people uh and i think i think that goes all the way back to manufacturing too we are seeing intermittent outages of, of products still uh we're seeing some areas where products are readily available however and then we've seen very strange shifts in product availability over the year for example last summer uh seafood was abundant now we're seeing it you know go up in price and and, and i'm Please, you know, aside from seasonality of certain fresh foods, that's a general statement of just availability. So, uh, you know, I, 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 th I think it's going to take just time for the entire supply chain system and food service to stabilize and and right side itself uh, from 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 the ability for them to service uh, us. Little, little patience here from from our side. <laughs> So I guess to address all that, what um, what actions is everyone taking? Is it looking at um, you know increasing parts so you just got more on hand? Is it you know dual sourcing? Um, you know possibly working with multiple broadliners. How are you kind of equipping yourself to to meet those challenges? So other than PPE, we've reduced our inventory levels dramatically and paper products since last year. We're down about 60% of what we carry on property right now. And we've changed to a lot more of direct issue versus uh, inventorying product here, just because we've reduced our warehouse staffing too. And the fact is we would, we would rather have our distributors control our costs. It is very difficult to sole source right now, even with having a relationship with a GPO. Um, you still have to have other sources to get that product from. Basically, you know, every day is a list of items that we were short shipped on and couldn't get. You have to go out and find that product, but we're trying to avoid increasing inventory as much as we can. Yes, some high volume items we have increased, but we don't want to get into our old um, methods of carrying all this inventory that if something happens again, we're stuck with it. I think from an operational perspective at, at the unit level, you know, there, there is a need to be more nimble, be, be able to take out some of the complexity when, when you're starting, you know, from raw products all the time and, and uh, really having a very complex nature to, to your menus, you know, during, during times when it's difficult to get in certain materials, you need to be able to flex, you need to be able to change some of the things that you're serving quickly. And that requires having an operational model that, that really limits the complexity that's there. 
uh, in, in a scalable format uh, as much as possible. And communication well in advance, no surprises to the vendors. It's not, it's not going to be a good partnership. You, you know, if you're running promotions and you are opening up a restaurant, get them involved as soon as possible and, and just make sure they understand what you're thinking is going to happen. Uh, obviously there's no crystal balls and, you know, we're, we're seeing people obviously become more comfortable with being out and about and, and more so in certain areas than other, depending upon, you know, how, how, um, how the vaccination rates are going or how they're, you know, how they're, you know, their trends on the, on the, on the, uh, on the infection rates are going. So, you know, there's certain areas where people feel very good and all of a sudden uh, they do flood, uh, you know, the business. And so those twists and turns uh, have to be constantly identified with the vendors to be fair to them. Uh, you, you know, they're, they're, they're not in your operation every day. They don't know what you're experiencing and they're having to juggle hundreds of small single one-off operators, chain restaurants, big national groups, Groups, whatever it is, and and uh, they're all vying for that same, you know, one last bottle on the shelf. So uh, the you know the the system, of course, some of you guys know the system better than I, but of course, you know, you get the brokers in there. The brokers are communicating on behalf of U.S. Foods or Cisco back to the manufacturers, and it's. I'd imagine some of those offices are like war rooms right now. One last question I want to go around uh, the group with. If we we were to reconvene this group a year from now, what what are we talking about? Is it it the same conversation or how is it advanced? And Alexis, we'll uh, we'll start with you on this one. Hopefully the conversation has advanced. Yeah, I think that that we're going to be um, really very, um, very nimble with with the operations that we're able to provide. I think that um, the ability to utilize technology, not only from a guest perspective, but also in terms of um, as an assistant to help um, really f- workflow of our team. I, I, I think we're going to see a lot more of that. Um, and, and I think that challenges drive innovation. So I think that we're at a really important um, and unique time right now. And I think we're going to see a a lot of of new innovations continue to evolve and, and continue to be adapted throughout the industry. A year from now, I hope we have a lot of people back working and they're earning and spending. You know, uh, you know, I'm speaking more globally here, but you know, obviously, we, we need people that have money in pockets to enjoy and and get back to having fun and and entertaining uh, themselves uh, through 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 gaming or whatever else uh, they they'd like to do for fun. And uh, you know, the the uh, you know, it's it's uh, you know, it's obviously it's a a balance of of people being able to get back to work, having the money to spend. But uh, you know, am I optimistic? Absolutely. I have no doubt whatsoever that uh, because it's every week, every week there's a good story, at least in our group, every week there's something great and exciting to talk about as it comes back online. You know, a year ago, I guess the, the maybe the other way to answer it is a year ago, what we were doing, I, I can tell you, I was sitting in this very room managing, unfortunately, the downside and closing and people going away. And that that's not what we're doing anymore. So yes, it's not great right now, but any, any concept that we shouldn't be optimistic that we're moving forward um, should be discounted. We're definitely headed in the right direction at this point with the moves with the vaccine and and the efforts of of people in the community helping each other out. I'm going to say that we're going to be very, the demand is going to be there. It's going to come back. Is it going to be the roaring 20s? We hope so. But from where we're at a year is the companies that are more technology driven and able to change are going to be the ones that are going to be succeeding. Fine dining is going to be very difficult from just the the labor involved to to the ability to have that customization of product and the cost associated with it. We're all going to pre-cuts. We're going to manufactured food items. The ability for a chef to have that um, individuality is is being not eliminated, but it's being reduced based on the lack of labor and the ability to do all of the prep involved in that. So I think technology is going to have one of the biggest impacts a year from now and who's able to succeed and not. I share the optimism. I, I think the, the demand side, a lot of confidence, it's, it, it will be back. And I feel from our involvement with clients and, and networking, a lot of the companies we've worked with, you know, men, many companies have taken this opportunity to really reevaluate operations, look at different ways to do things, uh, things that they were doing in, in the past because they always did it that way, uh, took on a different look. And so I actually think, you know, prior to pandemic, we were down an unsustainable path from a financial perspective uh, for restaurant operations. And so I think coming out of this, there's going to be 
uh, an ability to have a higher level of profitability, you know, at the unit level because of everything we've talked about today, uh, the technology, the equipment, you know, it's, it's challenging. It'll continue to be challenging from a labor perspective, but I think, you know, this year we've advanced faster than uh, probably we have in the last five years. And, and I think that will pay off. So if I had, I've been jotting down a couple of uh, like bullet, big picture bullet point takeaways. And if I had to summarize, I would, you know, I think I'm hearing from the group today is, you know, save on back to house processes, you know, both through technology and product that you're buying. Finance and data are key, you know, through, through this and understanding when to reopen, what to reopen, and making sure that we have the right offering. Uh, remote ordering, you know, and technology is a, is a big underlying factor throughout all of this. Um, and then flexibility and, and supply chain and being innovative, um, you know, in working with our vendors and partners, you know, is, is going to continue to be critical. Any questions from the group that haven't been asked yet? Michelle, anything? Uh, there is um, just one that I saw in here that um, hadn't been directly um, addressed, and it is um, from David Richard, and he asks, do you see a big surge in spending and traffic coming as more people get vaccinated? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And, and again, you know, what we're seeing, at least in non-gaming uh, environments, is that the spend is drastically increased by the mobile technology Um and I think in 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 the in the certainly in the casino market, it's simply a matter of the guests are coming back. I mean, there there's no doubt that they you know they want to play, right? Yeah, we're a vaccine mega center here, so we do on an average anywhere from 800 to 1500 shots a day with Harper Healthcare, and we do marketing promotions. If you get a shot, get a vaccine, you can get a free cup of Dunkin' Donuts coffee. You get coupons for discounts at Tanger Outlet Mall. So we're we're pushing at all angles to get that. And our um, over 65 clientele is up about 30% in the past month. So mm-hmm. we're still not there yet, but they are coming back. That goes along with everyone's positive outlook for next year. So that's great news. You can learn more about the services that GBH Advisory Group provides by visiting tribalvalue.com. If you have a topic for the show or would have a story to share, please contact us at michelleb at tribalhub.com. Don't forget to subscribe and to follow our show wherever you listen to podcasts to never miss an episode. Connect with all of us here by searching Travel Hub on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, or visit us on our webpage at travelhub.com.